0: Your Bibles are open right now to John chapter number 19. In just a moment, we will begin reading in verse number 19. Jesus, in this passage of scripture, is about to be presented as the crucified king of the Jews. Cicero, the ancient Roman statesman, the philosopher, wrote these words regarding crucifixion. He said, it was the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. Let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen. Nay, not even near his thoughts or eyes or ears. He's saying, if there is anything detestable, it is the reality of crucifixion. And it should never approach even the senses of the Roman citizen. Jesus had now been unlawfully taken and his body nailed to a tree. And Pilate gave some instruction before they lifted that cross, placed it in that hole and presented Jesus. We see in John chapter 19, beginning in verse number 19. And Pilate wrote a title, And put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the King of the Jews this title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. The phrase was written in all three of the significant languages of the day. It was written so that all the world could read what Pilate had written. Hebrew was the language of religion of the day and certainly of the location. Greek was the language of philosophy, Latin the language of law, and all three of these combined now to crucify the Son of God. This was the inscription that Pilate had written, and our thoughts on that inscription as we prepare this evening to come into this Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, It was written to give an additional blow to the hated Jews. Pilate knew that this title would both insult and embarrass the Jewish religious establishment. And that is exactly what he wanted to do. He even adds to the embarrassment by adding Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is a city of of lowly contempt. It's a city of scorn. And it certainly was derided even by the more sophisticated Judeans. Pilate, not fully understanding what it is that he was writing, does in fact become a witness to the truth. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. As we look upon Calvary's Hill this evening, there might be some who would say, Is this bloody man? This man whose body is so torn that it is beyond human recognition. Is this bloody man, in fact, the king of the Jews? Let's consider two aspects tonight of what I do believe is Jesus, king, not just of the Jews, but king. First of all, because he is king, He remained on the cross because he is king. He remained on the cross. The Bible records it this way. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, the jeering crowd says, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. These these mocking jeering words they stand with some obvious scorn on their face and derision on their lips if you are in fact the one who saved so many others save yourself if you truly want us to believe then perform one great miracle now and let's see if you are more powerful than the nails that have bound you to the cross bring yourself down. And that he could have done. Think of how those who had the words in their mouths would have swallowed the same had Jesus, at that moment, just released himself from the cross, maybe hovered before them, lowering himself to the earth, Think of the astounding impact that may well have had on some mocking crowd. Some might even believe that had he done so, it would have been a more powerful testament to his own power, his own authority, than even one who claims to have risen from the dead. I submit that because he is king, he actually remained on the cross had he removed himself from the cross he would have succumbed to the snare and the trap of the wicked one instead he whispers in his spirit get thee behind me Satan because he is king in sublime silence he rejects the call of his tormentors And he hangs in silent agony on the tree. In one of the greatest Old Testament pictures of the sacrifice of Christ, we read beginning in Isaiah 53, verse number four, Surely he hath borne our sin, our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb or silent. So he openeth not his mouth. The one that we refer to as the lion of Judah remains of his own will on the cross. He bleeds, but his blood is the very means to our enemy's defeat. Have you ever thought about how pleased Satan, the enemy of almighty God must have been when Christ hangs bloodied on a cross. And yet the very blood that he is shedding is the blood that is shed for the remission of our sin. He falls into the hands of the enemy, but this is the means of delivering us from the hands of the same. He allows himself to be nailed to the cross only that we might be freed from the cross. By remaining on the cross under the full weight of sin and the power of darkness, Christ was fitting us for a new kingdom under the reign of a good king. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the Notice those next words, the kingdom of his dear son. Is he in fact a king who hangs on the cross? Because he is king, he remains on the cross. The other thing that I think tonight is a demonstration of our kingly Lord hanging on a cross is this. Because he is king, the lawgiver could have victory over the law. Because he is king, the lawgiver now is the one who has victory over the very law that he established. In, in the moments before the cross, we understand one of those human and, and deity agonies that combine together in the garden of Gethsemane. We won't read the entire story, but, but we look at two verses, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And he went a little further, that is after he had left the disciples calling upon them to pray. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then we read in verse 42, after he he found them sleeping and said, Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. We get this sense of of the resolve of Jesus who has this this conflict within. He is as much man as if he were never God. He is as much God as if he were not man. We speak about this hypostatic union, this this combination of the God-man, and and here is one who will become sin. He's the one that, that prior to him leaving heaven, all heaven rotates around his will. There is absolute communion between he and the Father. And yet on the cross, when he becomes sin for us, your worst sin, your vile sin, everything he knows to be true about me, those things that no one else may know, he becomes my sin. And no longer can he say as he does in the garden, Father... Now on the cross, as he becomes our sin, he no longer refers with such intimacy, such familiar terms, such terms of a unified oneness. Now he has to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the lawgiver gives the law, he does not give himself a pass for enforcing it fully. Have you ever found that at times those in positions of authority, those creating the laws, oftentimes give themselves a pass on the same? I don't mean to be silly about this or trite in any way, but it, it feels as if when we were learning of all these new mandates that were coming down from above, so to speak, all the COVID quarantine, mandates that were being distributed and you must do this and you cannot do this. It was oftentimes so disappointing and frustrating to hear at times when those who were enacting the law were actually violating the same, but not Jesus. Every minute aspect of the holy law of God must be fully satisfied. You say, well, well, why the mention of the cup? Because as Christ drank the bitter cup and all that that entails, there was absolutely no drop left within it for you to drink. He fully satisfied all the just demands of the law. He drank the bitter cup so that I can now say, my cup runneth over and goodness and mercy seem to follow me all the days of my life. And because of the one who was separated from God, I now can say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the kingly one who hung for us upon a tree. There's a beautiful old book. It's called The Suffering Savior. It's by a man named F.W. Krumacher. He details the last week of Christ and then his moments on the cross Krummacher wrote, he submitted to this and drank the cup of wrath. Did a drop remain? Not one. Was the law's decision. And when the voice of mercy was heard from heaven, the law had nothing to object. Divine justice resigned the scepter to its august sister, love without infringing its glory in the slightest degree. Everything was now satisfied that the law demanded. And now no longer does law reign. Now, because law is satisfied, love reigns. Nothing left to pay. Colossians 2.14 says it this way blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Blotting out the transgression. I almost get the idea that that the list of my transgressions nailed to the foot of the cross Everything I have ever done, every sin I have ever committed, everything that keeps me from perfect union with God, it's nailed to the cross. But my sin, as the blood of the suffering Savior, the spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God, as the blood pours from His body, it begins to soak in the list that has my infringements of the law. And every sin is blotted out by the precious shed blood of the King who hangs on the cross. Who is this one who is hanging on a tree? The people who are standing at the foot of the cross in Matthew 27, 25 said, his blood be on us and on our children. Yet even for them, Christ's death and resurrection was the means by which we continue to crown him King. The time is coming when there will be another written inscription regarding this King Jesus. It will not be nailed to a Roman cross. It will not be the subject of great mocking and ridicule and shame. The Bible records it this way in Revelation 19 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No longer will this be written with any contempt but written as a demonstration of his full authority, his unending reign. This we can recognize today, but I am confidently saying it is that which all will recognize one day. What is it that is fitting for a king? One day, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is this King Jesus tonight that we will collectively remember. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are told to not enter into what we are about to do lightly It's not just another thing that Christians do. He says that some are sick. He goes so far as to say some actually are taken away from you. These are referring to believers, Christians, who have not rightly discerned, not rightly understood, not rightly come to the place where we remember the Lord's body. We do not believe anywhere found in Scripture that the Bible teaches that the elements we will use tonight to remember Christ's broken body, to remember and picture Christ's shed blood, we do not see anywhere in Scripture that what we will partake of tonight actually becomes the Lord's body, that it becomes his blood. We refer to that as transubstantiation. We believe they are Powerful pictures. We we don't even believe that, that his body is present in the elements, consubstantiation. We believe that these, like baptism, are wonderful remaining pictures for us to say, God, tonight I remember that Jesus submitted his body to that which no man has submitted themselves before. And that his shed blood became the final sacrifice, lamb after lamb, animal after animal, year after year, blood upon blood was shed as a picture of that which was to come. But John sees the one coming and he says, behold, it's as if he is saying, this is finally the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world.